This podcast is presented to you by a new series, the Clergy Confessions Podcast, now available wherever you get your podcast. Listen to ministers share truly awful experiences in anonymity. In this first season, you will hear stories of a minister fighting for maternity leave deep into her pregnancy, a pastor being fired for discovering an embezzlement scheme by the deacon board, an associate pastor finding his senior pastor and office administrator having an affair on church property, and so much more. Visit clergyconfessions.com. Follow Clergy Confessions on Instagram, Facebook, and whatever Twitter's called now. The book uh, you know, begins with God right here. God right there. God's handiwork is everywhere. You know, cultivating a theology of God's presence is a fascinating conversation for adults, let alone children and their true, tremendous creative minds. How did you go about trying to present that to, to kids? Welcome to the CBF Podcast Conversation. We know that conversations matter, so each week we are grinding through the critical research to bring you the best stories and resources of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work in renewing God's world. I'm Edney Hale, your podcast host. This year we're celebrating our eighth year on the podcast, bringing you better interviews with your time, attention, and collaboration. These episodes are not intended for you to listen to an island unto yourself. Get online and share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF Podcast community through our CBF Podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We also want to give a special shout out to some of our listener supporters, including the Honorable Charles Qualls, Caroline Bell, Cindy Foldenlore, Trip Hawthorne, Bill Johnson, Carson Fushi, Ralph Stocks, and that generous anonymous donor that keeps giving in honor of CBF Grump. Thanks for listening. Little Rock, Arkansas, Pittsburgh, PA, Ashburn, Virginia, West Yellowstone, Montana, Tamworth, Australia, and Hamilton, Canada. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. And before we move on, we need to give a word of gratitude to our annual sponsors, including Zondervan Media Company, Baylor University's Garland School of Social Work, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky, A Model Ministry, and Gardner-Webb University School of Divinity. Finally, and I promise this is it, don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platform. We need to pause to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, Gardner-Webb University School of Divinity. The Gardner-Webb University School of Divinity aims to equip, nurture, encourage, and support men and women for their best service in the kingdom of God. Offering several programs, including master's and doctoral levels, you'll be equipped and encouraged to discover the unique place where your faith reaches out to meet the needs of the world. Now enrolling for fall of 2023, for more information about Gardner-Webb Divinity Program scholarships and grants, call 704-406-3205 and visit gardner-webb.edu. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Kara Lawler. She's an author with several books to her name, including Everywhere Holy. Her work has also been featured in Huffington Post, The Today Show, and Parenting.com. Kara, thank you for joining the conversation. Thanks for having me, Andy. So I just have to ask, uh, how are things, as many of us are in the part of the country that are being scorched right now with heat waves, <laughs> how are things in the Allegheny Mountains of Pennsylvania? You know what? It's hot here, too. Oh, um, okay. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
it's it's warm, but you know, the evenings really cool off nicely. So and and I think, you know, like I talk about in in my new book, God Right Here, that's just kind of a part of those seasons with the seasons changing. We just have to go with it. Now, for those that maybe, you know, aren't aware of your story, tell us, um, you know, I guess maybe the theological tribe you come out of. I don't like to personally like to be put into a corner, but kind of tell us about, I guess, your ecclesial upbringing and where you are. Sure. So I was raised um, Catholic, but in a in a family where that meant something a little uh, different than than I noticed that it meant for some of my other friends or people um, who practiced that faith. Um, it was more of a, a spiritualism. Um, my parents are both naturalists and very connected to nature in, in that regard. So um, that was the formal church that I attended. Um, as an adult, um, I'm actually a, an Episcopalian, um, but really am firm in the belief that nature is God's best church. Um, but I do attend the Episcopalian church and, and find that to be a nice um, home for for the beliefs that that I hold. So your first book, uh, Everywhere Holy, um, you know, is an incredible book. It, it, uh, it, it talks about embracing uh, the sacred in everyday life to see the holy and the beautiful. Um, as we were talking about kind of pre-record, it was a memoir of sorts, um, you know, now a couple of years removed from from that experience how, how does that still you know speak and inform the the work that you do so i think you know in everywhere holy i talk a lot about um finding identity in in the sense of like remembering who god made made me to be i guess um and finding out in in our own paths um how God kind of can influence or does or absolutely does influence our identities. Um, and then that ability to see beauty everywhere um, and the ability to remember uh, again, who, who you were made to be. So um, in everywhere, Holy, I talk a lot about having children as a way to remind me of who God made me to be. Um, and so for me, that parenting lens, that parenting experience. And for other people, it can be other things. Um, but for me, the parenting experience and then the subsequent um, struggle that I had with postpartum depression after my youngest child kind of influenced that journey for me and, and really, you know, actually caused the journey, I guess, and the reevaluation of what does it mean um, to be the me who God made me to be. So when you ask about how does that kind of influence my perspective in general, I, you know, that just hasn't gone away. That idea of um, seeing beauty, no matter how hard it is to see, the idea that nature really is the one of the best reflections of God's work in the world and noticing, just noticing that observation as prayer. I talk a lot about that in Everywhere Holy. And that's actually another um, way I express the same thing for children in God right here, that, you know, God has created this beautiful world that we live in and that um, it's given to us, the world is given to us um, as a way to kind of endure, maybe struggle. Um, and, and I don't know, that perspective seems to be pretty unique when I talk about that with other people. Um, but really nature just as a, as a sustaining force, 
um, and looking that looking at that as wow, you know, look at these beautiful things that God has given me. So when I think about perspective or perspective, you know, for me, that mothering lens, that parenting lens is really in all of my work. We can't go any further without telling about one of our annual sponsors, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. How does your congregation handle ministry staff leadership for areas such as youth and children's ministry? More and more churches are cultivating these leaders from within their congregations. Going away to seminary is not an option for these persons, yet many desire some level of theological education to better prepare them for their ministry role. In response to this trend, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky has launched the Homegrown Initiative. The Homegrown Initiative offers ministry leaders options for training and growth that fits into their busy schedules. If you or someone else at your church is serving as a homegrown minister and is looking to be better equipped as a minister, visit bsk.edu to learn more about new creative options for growth. bsk.edu. That's bsk.edu. You know, the book also, you you talk a great deal about struggles and triumphs, depression and anxiety. Mm. It seems like in the last couple of years, unless uh, certainly into a certain segment of the theological landscape of American Christianity, this has become more comfortable of a conversation. Mm. Um, You know, what have you found from from readers and those that have um, kind of spoken back to you about what they've read from you um, about how the church, you know, does and does not talk about these things? Well, I think, you know, um, when I. So before I wrote Everywhere Holy, you know, obviously I had a had an online space. You know, a few of my articles had gone viral, um, been read millions of times and 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 such um, online. And so, uh, you know, Everywhere Holy is is really a continuation of work I had done in, in other spaces. So, you know, I started that work back in 2015, um, felt really called. There, there was an absolute calling for me to start writing about that. And so I can kind of talk about that. And, you know, I, I was in, um, I was in church and, um, really struggling, really struggling, uh, with depression after my daughter, she was about a year old and it was a, a struggle that I had let endure a little too long. She was maybe nine months. And I actually remember kneeling and saying, what, gosh, what, what am I supposed to do here? Because I feel like there was a stigma involved, uh, throughout my childhood, present. And, you know, I'll be 45 in, in January. So, um, as an adult found that being stigmatized where, you know, asking for maybe mental health support in 2015 felt a lot different than it feels now. Um, and not wanting to seek those kinds of support. So I remember being there in church vividly. Remember I write about this in, in another, it's not in everywhere holy, but, um, I have written about it in other spaces, where it was an absolute call to write. So it was really interesting. And so I came home and I wrote and I wrote and I started this blog online. And so I felt very called to write about those kinds of struggles. And as I wrote about them, I feel like that was part of the healing process. And what for me, um, along with other measures, you know, of course. um, But as I started writing about them in a public space, it was pretty amazing to me how women in my own community, women across the country and world started messaging me as things got, um, as my writing became, um, grew bigger, you know, than a small audience. Um, where they thanked me for writing. And I think that that kind of empowered me to say, why am I like hiding from this? 
when so many of us suffer with this. Um, and I feel, I really do feel very strongly that that call to write and write about the anxiety and depression that I was facing um, led to not only my own healing, but a dialogue with other women that um, has, you know, even if it's helped one woman, you know, in her own healing or man, I do feel like my audience uh, for a while was largely female um, everywhere. Holy shifted that because I talk um, about other things too. And so, you know, my audience is, is um, still, I still have a large female audience, of course, but um, have men too, but but yeah, you know, and so I think that stigma, it's been, it's been uh, broken uh, for me, certainly, um, in the past eight years. But I also think that the United States in general and the church in general is embracing more of those things, you know, and in the past it was, let, let's pray our way out of it. Um, and while that may be the start of, of my own healing was the prayer, um, you know, I firmly believe in mental health support beyond prayer and there should be no stigma to that. And so, um, you know, and I know in different spaces, it's certainly still stigmatized. Um, but, uh, but I'm happy that that's shifting. You've obviously written and spoken extensively about, um, parenting. Um, mm. but now you've written a, a book for children. Uh, yeah. The book is God right here. A uh, friend of the program, Matthew Paul Turner, who who writes a lot of children's books, talks about it's not as easy as you think it is. So walk us through the journey of, of writing um, a children's book. Sure. So actually, as a young girl myself, I always wanted to write a children's book. That was the dream. You know, that was always the dream. And as I started writing in other spaces, um, I was told that um, children's books are actually, as you just said, uh, some of the hardest to work on and some of the hardest to get published um, because there there are so many people who kind of dance into that space. Um, and as you said, too, people do think that it's maybe easy. Um, I will tell you, Andy, I have probably, um, let me see, 12 children's books right now that are written. Um, this is the only one I have a contract for at the moment. And so, and they're all very, um, I love all the books, uh, and, and I feel pretty strongly about them and maybe someday, but it's, but it's not an easy journey. Um, and so for me, it started as a seed of a dream as a little girl. Um, I was an in-classroom English teacher for, uh, 21 years, you know, now I'm a, a school administrator, but I was a teacher. I, I am a mother. I uh, Mothering informs literally all of my perspective, whether it be um, as a parent, as a writer, as a teacher, as an administrator. You know, I look through the lens of being a parent. Um, and so I really, really wanted to publish this book in particular because I felt like it would help kids with this perspective that, hey, you know, the seasons change and life changes, you know, the metaphor, the seasons being a metaphor, you know, for the seasons of our life, if, if you choose to look at it like that. Um, and that's really what it is to me that the seasons really mimic the literal seasons, mimic the figurative seasons in our own life. And I talked to my children about that. And, you know, um, when I first started writing um, in a public way, I had a one-year-old and a six-year-old. Um, and now those same children are uh, nine and about to turn 14. So as we kind of work through this parenting journey, how important it is, how important I feel it is 
for kids to kind of have their their feet on the ground in the sense that um you know look where i can find god you know because i think sometimes in lots of um traditional churches and certainly in the church that i grew up in um in many ways um at that time anyway you know church was reserved for sunday morning right but what if what if we we learn that church is everywhere every day and that we show our kids that god is everywhere every day um rather than just reserving it for a space uh with four walls and so that dream of doing that took all of these years um you know i started having that dream as a little girl and as i said you know i'm a, i'm well into adulthood and i've just published this book um, but the actual literal progression of it was that, um, you know, when you're writing, I had to to grow a platform online. I had to be published in various places to secure an agent. Then we had to, you know, um, th- it was just a real journey. And it's been, um, you know, eight years in the making. Hmm. The the artwork is gorgeous. The yeah. images were designed by Janae Poe. Um, what, what can you tell us about her? Well, you know, I've never met her, unfortunately. I would love to meet her. Um, I know that she and I share the love of the countryside, and we share a love of nature and, excuse me, and conservation, and we really have that. And so when I was given some um, artist uh, from which to choose, her work kind of jumped out at me. Um, I, I, her work is, uh, magical and I wanted it to feel magical and engaging. Um, and really her love of nature is really evident in, in this book. Um, and that's really what I wanted to, to convey. Since 2016, CBF has brought you episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. The book, uh, you know, begins with God right here, God right there. God's handiwork is everywhere. You know, cultivating a theology of God's presence is a fascinating conversation for adults, let alone children and their true, tremendous creative minds. How did you go about trying to present that to, to kids? Well, that's why I thought that something, um, you know, really literal, like the changes of the season, um, would be helpful for kids to see how does God kind of show up here in this space. And that's why, you know, that is why I chose the seasons um, to illustrate that, you know, one of my favorite seasons is the fall. Um, and when, and of course, living in Pennsylvania in the Appalachian Mountains, uh, specifically, as you mentioned, the Allegheny Mountains, you know, the fall is really brilliant here, brilliant in all ways. And so um, color wise and, you know, other. And so, you know, using what God has done in nature and those images, you know, kids are very, uh, in many ways, most children are very literal. And so being able to kind of start a literal 
uh, a conversation about something literal that actually is quite figurative about the changes in our own lives and the seasons in our own lives, that it could start out with a young kiddo looking at this book and then perhaps spur conversations, I think, with older kids, um, you know, with the seasons and the changes that they go through too. And so I even think um, this book could be a good springboard to kind of sit down and talk to some kids about some changes that they're going through, whether it be social, emotional, or, you know, the physical changes that our kids go through are, are incredible. You know, someone who has studied education in early childhood, um, what they're going through socially, emotionally, and physically as children without all the other things that are going on in the world. So just separating all of those other things out, this book could be a good springboard for just those things that we all go through as humans. But then, you know, we're asking our kids more and more to shoulder some really heavy topics. You know, I parented two children and then, um, you know, taught kids through the COVID pandemic. And um, we're asking them to really deal with a lot of adult issues, you know, 50% of marriages end in divorce and, you know, all of these different things that our kids have to shoulder. So I think God right here could also be a really good springboard for look, even in these seasons in your life, God is everywhere. Look how he shows up. The book, um, you know, one of the key themes and it's evident is inclusivity. Children of different races and ethnicity are present along with children of different abilities why is it important for the narrative of this book to convey that? Yeah, I, well, you know, I think representation is so important for all of us, but particularly for our children. You know, it's really important for them um, to see kids who look like them, um, who are experiencing life the way that they are, and to know that this message is not just for one kind of kid. And so that was a really important uh, part of this book. Um for me, you know, and Jenny and IVP to, to make sure that this book is not just for a kid who looks a certain way. And even if it wouldn't have been that way, even if it had been, um, we don't want any misinterpretation by the kids that they don't belong in this story. And so that sense of belonging is really important to cultivating, I think, faith um, that you belong here and you you belong here because you belong to God. And when we start saying that people don't belong, how does that message kind of trickle down? Uh, and that was really important for me to have that that inclusivity in God right here. Obviously, um, and you're an educator, um, you know, an education exposing children to a diversity of human expressions is a point of contention right now for some segments of our population. Um, you know, why do you think, you know, what, what do you think is going on there? And how do you think your, your book might uh, address some of those things for people of faith who, who are reading it? Um, I, I think when you ask me what's going on there, I think, I think a lot of it is fear. I think fear is going on there. Fear is at play there. And, um, you know, it's, it's hopeful that like with a book like God right here, we open a dialogue, um, that is, that is for children, but that, it, that, that I think, you know, children show us the way if we let them, that's a quote I have in, um, in everywhere holy, you know, obviously the quote from the Bible and the little children shall lead us, something like that. Um, and so I think children, it's interesting and fascinating um, for, for listeners who have small children, they don't, children don't notice um, some of the differences uh, in the ways that adults do. And so I think if we start young and we start teaching our children that these are ways 
um, to view um, people that, that we are all part of God's creation. You know, a lot of what I like to talk about as a parent, as a writer, as an educator, is how do we raise good humans, right? Because at the end of the day, we're trying to raise good humans who go out, go forth in the world um, and, and, you know, convey that, that goodness. And that doesn't mean that people don't make mistakes, but how do we raise good humans? And I think it, you know, this book can kind of start with um, knowing that God shows up uh, for everyone and, and in everyone. We are pausing to tell you about one of our collaborative annual sponsors, a model ministry. Are you a church leader who's committed to keeping children safe? If so, then a model ministry is for you. We are a registered nonprofit organization specializing in safety education, policy writing, and risk assessment to mitigate child abuse in ministry organizations. We understand that child safety is a top priority for churches, and we are here to create a safe and nurturing environment for all children. Our founders can provide the resources and support needed to implement effective child safety policies and procedures. Visit amodelministry.com to learn more about our services and how we can help keep children safe. Let's take a break to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, Baylor University's Garland School of Social Work. What is social work? At Baylor University's Garland School of Social Work, it's empowerment, service, and justice. It's ministry, counseling, and relationship building. It's faith, practice, and community. But above all, it's learning how to help others thrive. Social workers can be found addressing the full scope of the human experience in churches, schools, prisons, government agencies, senior living centers, nonprofits, and Fortune 500 companies. Careers in social work profession are vast and varied. What is social work, you ask? It's much more than you think. Visit gsswstories.baylor.edu to explore more. You know, another unto the book is how God works and functions in the world. Um, seeing God's work through how the earth actually works is a building block for children's theology. Um, so how does your book build on this idea? So in terms of, um, you know, God being at work in the seasons, um, I think it just helps the kids to to see how he shows up. You know, Andy, I want you to clarify that question. I'm sorry. Can you ask That's me a- that question again? It's okay. So, you know, um, I think about like my childhood, take for remember experience, take you a little bit into deep years. I remember experiencing my first tornado as a kid in Alabama. Okay. And I, I distinctly remember thinking, well, God allowed that to happen. You know, <laughs> you know oh, and as yeah. a parent wanting to cultivate a dynamic theology for our little ones, you know, how do we talk to them about the nature of how God works in the world? And also a reflection on how the seasons um, reflected God's presence in the world. Well, I think you bring up a, an interesting point, like with the tornado or, you know, when it rains, when we're at the beach, right? And these things that we kind of make more about ourselves, like how could God allow that to happen um, and ruin my day? Or in many cases, you know, bring this destruction to the world. And so I think that's an interesting concept. The idea that um, while while God has His hand in everything, um, nature is is a force too, right? Um, and so God shows up in everything. And and as I as I write in Everywhere Holy, you know, sometimes the bad things like April showers bring May flowers. You know, that's that old idea um, that after after the um, it was kind of solitude. And, and 
and death that sometimes will come in winter, you know, of course, just that death of, of um, trees and grass and all of those things that the, that the blossoms and the sun does shine after. So um, that's the way I kind of like to phrase those things for my kids that we may never know the reason um, but we can look to the outcome and we can we can um, be confident that this the sun will shine after the storm. You know, the sun will rise in the morning after the darkness of night. Um, and I, I think those assurances, uh, again, whether literal or figurative, you know, looping back um, to to anxiety, depression, mental health issues that we're seeing on the rise. We are, I don't know, you read the CDC report, we're seeing these on the rise with our kids. And so after the, the literal or metaphorical darkness of the struggle, that sun comes up and guess what, you know, God's in charge of that. And so, you know, that reliance and that peace that comes from knowing that um, is something I think is really important to convey to our kids. Our world is, is so busy and mm -hmm. we are all actively engaged in technology, often detached from the world around us. Um, your book also seems to be an invitation into nature. Um, you know, is that accurate? And if so, why do you think interacting with nature, the natural world is, is important for all of us, let alone kids? Yeah, that's definitely the message um, for me. I mean, I grew up uh, in, in a very spiritual household. Um, where there was a connection to nature and an, and an understanding and a leaning in of it being connected to God. And I find it so fascinating when we try to disconnect that. Um, so for me, it's just inherent, but I, but I have found in the years that I've written about it, that people are more surprised about that, that again, it goes back Andy to that idea that God is not only found in the church and that idea that he only can be found there troubles me really. Um, you know, because how does that, how does that kind of influence the rest of our life and the rest of our days? If we see him as someone that we can only find in church, what permission does that give us to act in different ways when we're not there? I don't know. I, I struggle. So if I kind of look and, you know, I'm looking outside of a window right now and it's just, you know, I'm seeing nature. Um, I think that connection and that reverence, and again, that observation as prayer, um, the beauty that we have from nature as a reflection of God. Um, for me, I don't know how else to, to function. Um, my children have become that way. Now, you know, I choose right now to live and I have, um, I grew up in the Appalachian mountains and, and lived in a lot of other places and, and have been really blessed to travel, but I return to these places and spaces because admittedly it is easier we do lead very busy lives. I lead a very busy life and um, two, but the fact that I guess it's easier for me. And I, and I know that I know that that's a privilege that I hold, that it's easier for me to connect with nature because I have chosen and created a life in a space where it's easy because that's of utmost importance to me. Um, and I, and I think that that's a challenge and a call for people who don't have the privilege that I have to live where I do. Um, now I live in rural Pennsylvania and, um, but, but I think that for people who are living in other spaces, you know, try to take a walk in the park, try to just take a walk outside. I, even in cities and I travel a lot to cities and, and love cities, you know, I have kind of conditioned, tried to, it's, it's a routine. And I often forget, uh, admittedly, even as I'm like, you know, that's something that, that I'm so emphatic about, but even when you're walking down the street, um, what do you observe? And it doesn't just have to be in nature. I think it's in one another's faces. 
Um, I write a lot and everywhere wholly about eyes um, and, you know, noticing, noticing faces and really paying attention. Again, observation is prayer. And I think you could do that anywhere. I'd like to think of myself as as a Wendell Berry, um, though I I don't oh, yeah. currently live in the circumstance um, by which um, the great poet uh, yeah. does, um, you know. But Wendell, and and certainly to the extent of what you're conveying to children here, there's something about being out and about. Mm-hmm. And I I wonder, you know, as this book is an invitation for for not just children but for the adults who might be reading it to them. That we see so many challenges going on in our world today. You know, the fact that we're re-recording this on a day in which they're seeing, you know, astronomically high temperatures around our world. That the world is changing as a result of how we live. Mm-hmm. So, how might this book also be an invitation into rethinking our theology of how we relate to creation and how we care for it? Well, yeah, I think um, when I brought up like Jenny Poe, the the um, illustrator of this book, being a conservationist, um, I grew up in, and still um, am a part of a of a contra, you know, a, a, a family of people who practice conservation. Um, married to a civil environmental uh, lawyer, my father is a beekeeper. Um, you know, uh, owns an apiary. You know, honey, and, and so. You know, I, I love Wendell Berry. I, I love Mary Oliver, if your readers haven't read her. And as a teacher, um, and as a, I was a teacher of English, um, you know, what, what those poets have meant to me among many others. You know, I, I do think my, my work um, is inspired in part by people like that, for sure. Um, and by the own, you know, the own people, the people in my own life. Um, but I do, I do hope it's a call for that. I, I do hope it's a look at this world as a gift from God and how can we treat it in ways that reflect that? If we look at it in that way, aren't we then called to treat it in a way um, that is reverent? Um, you know, what has happened to the reverence um, that that perhaps um, other groups of people, you know, have had, I, I think in general, um, that isn't something that has concerned the church as much as I wish it has. And when I say the church, I say that kind of, you know, big C, right. Um, in general, but, but, um, for me, I don't know how it can be. I don't know how there, I, I, I struggle sometimes to understand the disconnect. You know, finally, uh, obviously, when something is a visual art form, it's hard to convey it to those that are listening to something in an audio platform. So yeah. I thought it'd be cool if we could kind of end our time together with maybe reading, having you read a couple pages from the book. Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to, Andy. And I think I will go to that fall part of the book um, with the season of fall, because that is my favorite. Um, and so, you know, the book takes us through the seasons. And so I'll start with with fall. Fall is on the scene now with leaves of yellow, red, and orange in all piles ready to jump in. We leap, we soar. The fields of hay baled and golden and apples filled to the brim of baskets. The cider all warm at the end of the day with pumpkins from the patch made into pumpkin pies. God shows us the bounty of the earth, his gift. And that kind of takes us through um, fall, you know, because I do think that that fall really shows us the bounty 
And even though it's the start, you know, the end of one season and the, and the end of the growth cycle, um, it's the start, you know, we, we get the bounty from that growth cycle and it's the start of the cycle all over again. So, um, so yeah, so that, that's my, one of the favorite, uh, seasons of mine and, and reflected in the book. Our guest is Carol Lawler. The book is God Right Here. You can stay connected with her by visiting carolawler.com. Kara, it's a, been a joy talking with you. Thank you for reminding us uh, in this world of busyness, division, and commotion that God is right here. Thanks, Andy. It's been my pleasure. We are grateful for a chance to pause to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, Zondervan Media Group. Explore the depth and beauty of scripture with the NRSV updated edition. With provisions based on new contextual evidence, historical insights, and linguistic precision, this updated edition of the NRSV delivers a translation of scripture based on meticulous care for accuracy and readability. Learn more about new editions of the NRSV UE from Zondervan at nrsvuebible.com. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF on all major platforms, including iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platforms. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites. Again, that's Gardner Webb University School of Divinity, a model ministry, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky, Baylor University's Garland School of Social Work, and Zondervan Media Company. Check out more at cbf.net for more information about church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and more. And I'm not sure if we mentioned that you should join the listener support community at cbf.net backslash podcast support.